This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 100. And normally I would read a quote and go into the music, but I'm going to do this a little bit differently today because this is the 100th episode. So first of all, I just want to say thank you to every single listener out there um, that has listened to one or all of the podcasts. It doesn't matter to me, but the fact that you, you've you listened to any of them, thank you so much for that. I, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it, and I don't ever want anyone to think for a second that I don't appreciate every single one of you. I, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and for being part of the Drummer's Resource community and also, just to touch on something before we get into this, that, you know, I started this podcast uh, out of out of a want to just talk to, to some drummers, and it sort of grew legs and turned into this whole entire thing. And when I started this, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea if it was going to work. I had no idea if anyone was even going to listen to it. And now it gets, you know, tens and tens of thousands of downloads a month, and it's just insane the response that that I've gotten from it but the point of all this is what I'm saying that you know you don't have to know everything to get started on something so if there's something out there that you want to do and you really really in your heart of hearts feel like it's what you need to do or what you want to do then just go do it and you're you're not going to be perfect and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to stumble along the way and you're going to trip and fall and I guarantee that you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to be perfect but if you want to do something, just do it. And like I said, I had no idea how to do any of this. Or, you know, I didn't know anything about podcasting or whether this was going to work or, or anything like that. But I did it. And, you know, that that was a year and a half ago now, 100 podcast sessions later. Um, it's just amazing to see what this community has turned into. So thank you so much for that. And, yeah, just go out and fucking do it if you want to do something, man. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with session 100 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. This session is brought to you by Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks. Check them out at bosodrumsticks.com and use the promo code PODCAST to save 15% off your entire order. This session is also brought to you by Drum Magazine, the most fanatical drumming magazine on the planet. And their mission is to make people excited about playing drums to be the missing manual for your drumming life. Be sure to check them out at drummagazine.com. The interview that I have today is one that I've, I've really wanted to get for a while. I got the incredible Greg Bissonette, who does not need any introduction, and I don't need to tell you who he is or what he has done, but we're going to get into it a lot with him today. And this interview is from uh, the day, or for a couple of days that I was out in California. I was at Drum Channel. Greg was nice enough to drive down to Drum Channel and sit with me and, and do this interview. So I'm really, really grateful for, for uh, getting to sit down with Greg. So we're going to get into this interview. I'm going to stop talking. Mr. Greg Bissonette. Nick. Are we good? Greg. What's happening, Nick, man? Nick Ruffini? Oh my God, it's Greg Bissonette. From Philly? Yes, that is me. The Ruffini restaurant that's yeah. just outside of Philly? Yeah. Italian, Ruffini. Yeah, that's like, me, man. Penne arrabbiata, Ruffini arrabbiata. See, I, and I didn't, and I, all this time I thought you didn't know who I was, I, and 
You've been following me for years. I've been following you for years, <laughs> and I know that you and Adam Kuntz are the paradiddle diddle, quadruple paradiddle drum set kings. champions. Champions. Of the world. Of the world. Of yeah. the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, here with Greg Bissonette at the Drum Channel Studios. And I've been out here for three days, and I've been chatting and got, you know, filming some lessons. I got to interview people, and what way, better way to end this trip is to sit down with you. Such an, um, an amazing player, man, and it's such, such an honor to have you here. And I know it took you a long time to drive down here because of traffic, so uh, was, thank was, you for that. I was doing a film uh, out in uh, Warner Brothers uh, Studios in Burbank, and the 101 freeway, well, the 134, into the 101 on a Friday, and then the 101 through the valley, and then you hit the Camarillo grade, and, and you come like, into the Camarillo Valley, and we were just stopped. So I, uh, I'm sorry I'm late, but we're rolling. Uh, there's no need to apologize, but thank you, really. I mean, I know it's a pain in the neck to get down here, especially on a Friday, man. So we appreciate it, and I know that the, the, the audience appreciates you being here as well. It so. is my pleasure. Cool. Thank you very much. So I always, I always like to get the backstory a little bit of, of people who I talk to, and there's a lot of information about you online. So people can go on and, and Google you, and, and there's tons of information out there. But what they don't know is when I'm hanging with my Italian brother, Ruffini, I want to be Italian, but Bissonetti, Bissonette. So yeah. I'm gonna swap. We can say Bissonetti. The French for Italian here. We say Bissonetti. Bissonetti, okay. perfectamente. Si, si, si. Pasta fasol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What People are like, what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> Sorry, guys. So, backstory. Back when you were growing up in uh, in Italy. In Italy. Right, right. Ho capito perfectamente. Fantastico. Si. Small boy, bambino. Si. And uh, che bravo ragazzo. Si. Oh, grazie. Prego. Si. Tu parla italiano. Un poquito. That's my Spanish. Si. L.A. roots coming in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Un poquito. Si. Sorry. But Detroit, not far from Philly. A lot closer to Philly than Camarillo or Oxnard. Right. Uh, Detroit, yeah. A lot of Italians. Mm -hmm. You know, my good friend Tony Pia and uh, Paul Fanasso and uh, a lot of my, you know, Paulie Ventimiglia from Detroit. <laughs> that's yeah. an Italian. Ventimiglia, Sicilian. <laughs> si. So anyway, yeah, Detroit. Up there. So growing up there, let's talk a little bit about about how you got into drumming and and really how you got the bug to to really say, man, I'm going to dive into this and and you know get serious about it. Well, my dad always had drums in the house. Mm -hmm. My dad was a drummer since he was a kid, Bud Bissonette. My mom was the vibes player, jazz vibes player in my dad's band. My aunt played piano in my dad's band. Uh, my sister played. Violin, my brother, he's my favorite bass player. He's Elton John's bass player. I'm dropping names here. I dropped the name. Oh, Elton John's bass player. <laughs> but we've played together so much in our right. careers. We started jamming when he was probably, I don't know, fifth grade, and that was seventh grade on Smoke on the Water. Mm -hmm. you know, the big tune that you play when you get a bass. Sure. Bum, 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 bum. So, yeah, we played since we were kids, and then we played in a band that played for our high school dances, middle school dances, high school dances, house parties, and then we started doing, you know, uh, proms and homecoming gigs, weddings. Right. Um, wakes. No, we didn't play any wakes. <clears throat> but in the words of Lenny DiMuzio, my very dear friend who passed away. Just few, recently. Just recently. Yeah. I, the last time I saw him at PAS, I said, Lenny, it's great to see you. He said, yeah, baby, it's great to be seen. Better to be seen than to be viewed. Yeah. Lenny always <laughs> had a funny joke. But yeah, we don't play any wakes. We didn't play any wakes, but we played a lot of parties. And then our band kind of 
uh, played through high school, and then my brother and I both went to Texas to go to school. We went from Detroit. We were going to go to Berkeley School of Music in Boston, but we went to Texas because we heard that they had nine big bands, like 100 small groups, 125 drum set players, and it was Texas. It was a lot warmer than Detroit. Right. And there were three Miss Americas that were already from there. I'm You're going like, to I'm, Texas. Going, I'm going to Texas. What so, else do you need? Warm weather and nothing hot women. else. Yeah. And I heard they were really friendly down there. And my girlfriend said when she visited my high school girlfriend, she said, "You know, in Texas here, when a lady gets up to go to the restroom, all the guys Everybody stand gets up." up. Yeah, they don't do that in Detroit. No. Probably not in Philly. No, either. they don't. Not too we, much we over We just there. throw batteries at, at <laughs> Santa Claus and snowballs and all kinds of stuff. My gosh. Did Pets, cheesesteak. Have you ever heard of that story, though? Oh, no, I haven't. I thought you were making it up. No, they gave away... Well, they threw... The fans threw snowballs at Santa, but then they had those batteries inside of, like, inside. something they gave away, and they were just throwing the batteries onto the field at the players. Tough crowd over no, there. <laughs> anyway... And, and I'm a Philly down, fan. I'm a Philly fan, but I don't do that kind of stuff. Okay. And they I'm tore a, down I'm the nice Spectrum. Guy. Yeah, and they tore that down. And you've played there. We played there with my first tour with David Lee Roth. We played the Spectrum. And I saw that Rocky statue, and Nick just told me they tore it down. No, they didn't tear it down. They just moved it. They tore down the Spectrum, but they moved the statue. Oh, they didn't tear down the statue. But no, they no, moved the statue it. they moved. See, but the thing is, I, I don't want to break any, but I don't want to break the news to anybody in Philly. But Rocky is not a real person. Wait a minute. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but like people in Philly act like, I mean, Sylvester He's Stallone not. is a real guy. Who's Sylvester Stallone? But people are like. I'm kidding. You know, what about people, Adrian? Is she real? Uh, I don't think, I don't know. What about his trainer? <laughs> yeah, what's his name? <laughs> I forget. Was, I don't know. But Bridges people, like, Meredith, people, but no, people in Philly are like, uh, they're, oh yeah, Rocky. I'm like, it's not a real, it's a fictional character. <laughs> they make a statue out of a fictional character. Leave it to us in Philly. When I was with Maynard, we would always, uh, Eat at Pat's Cheesesteaks. And yeah. what's the one next door? Gino's. Gino's. It was Pat's is the best. Pat's Maynard yeah. liked the best. And then we would play uh, Rocky, because he had a hit with theme from Rocky. Right. In fact, Peter Erskine played on that album uh, that had Rocky on it. And, uh, yeah, that was one of Maynard's hits. So, Philly, woo. Nice. I love it. <laughs> so, and, let's, so we're going to rewind. Okay. <laughs> right. Th- fast forward a little bit. All right, there we go. So right there, uh, so you're, you're, you're playing wakes and, and proms and everything. Yes. Um, so where did it lead from there? And, and when did you really you know, decide and make the decision, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to you know, go be an accountant or, yeah. or anything else, and I'm going to really pursue this music thing. I remember it like, I was, you know, like it was last week, actually. My parents were going to go on a trip. They did go on a trip to Spain. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, you know, at the dinner table, Greg, you know, your mom and I are going to Spain in two weeks, and uh, I got a gig. It's a wedding, and my band, the Bud Bissonette Band, is going to play. He called it the Buddy Blair Band. He thought Bissonette would be too tough for, for the business card and for people to remember. <laughs> so the Buddy Blair Band, we called it the Bloody Bear Band. Right. But he says, and so uh, you're going to, he gives me the sticks. He goes, you're going to do the gig. I said, I'm going to play the whole gig? I can't, how am I going to get there? Well, his brother, my, my Uncle Chuck, your Uncle Chuck's going to drive you. And... Uh, you know, just uh, do what you do when you sit in, you know? I mean, I usually sat in on Proud Mary and Joy to the World by Three Dog Night, but all of a sudden I'm playing Girl from Impanima and Satin Doll and, and Brushes, and, and I probably didn't sound that good, but I was a leader's kid. And I right. Was but did you know all that stuff, though, or were you just kind of like... I knew the songs because I would go with my dad. I would be his roadie at, like, 12 and 13. I'd wear the mock tucks and sit next to the drums and set them up and watch my dad play. He'd let me play Shaker on... Tall and ten, and then ba ba dee doo da. I'm playing the shaker. No, no shaker on. 
set and balance, the swing tune. So I, I just knew the songs, right. but I hadn't really played a whole four-hour gig. And I remember this lady walked up to the band and she said, oh, you gotta stop, you gotta stop. It's my Uncle Harry's 90th birthday tonight. Play happy birthday. And I'm thinking, oh, happy birthday. And I don't really think about it, but the sax player turns around and goes, happy birthday in three, one, two, happy. And I'm thinking, in three. What do you mean in three? And I <laughs> play boom, 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 like a you know time over time metric modulation, Pete Magadini kind of thing. Vinnie Kalayuda at the Elks Club, you know, playing Happy Birthday in four <laughs> right. while they're playing a waltz, you know, like displacement. You know. Right, right. Isn't Vinnie from Philly? He's from Pittsburgh. Yeah, he's from Pittsburgh. Yeah, the greatest. He's, we were just we were actually just talking about Vinnie earlier. Oh my god. I put this thing up on Facebook, this joke, or it's April Fool's Day, and I was like, oh, I'm stoked. I'm going to be doing a whole slew of dates with, with Sting. And all these people were, like, <laughs> freaking out. And, like, and I was like, it's, it's, it's not true. This afternoon, <laughs> I was watching a YouTube of Vinny playing Brought to My Senses in mm -hmm. 7, where he's going... I was born... What a drum. What a musical So good. So good. Every time I watch him play, I'm just like, oh my god! You either want to do one of two things. I was, you know, I always say, when I see somebody play like that. I either want to go practice all day, yeah. or just stop, or just stop. He's the reason the sticks. Yeah, here's the sticks. Yeah. He's the reason I moved to L.A. Really? Well, I knew I wanted to live out here because, you know, I wanted to be a recording session and touring drummer. And a guy at North Texas State says, "Are you crazy? You can't do both." What do you mean? He goes, well, either the session guys, they stay in town and they've got their beepers and they only, you know, okay, I'll be there, you know, double session. Or if they leave even for one gig out of town, somebody will take their place and they'll never work again. I said, I don't think that's the way it is. But yes, it is. And then the touring guys, they only tour because if they come into town, they don't get used for sessions because they're known as out-of-town guys. Well, Vinnie Caliuta proves them wrong, right, right? Right, I mean, the guy tours with... You know, Herbie Hancock, Sting, Frank Zappa comes into town. Everybody waits for him to do albums. Sure. Abe Laboreal tours all the time, plays all kinds of albums. Mm -hmm. So it's that's not true. But I was playing a gig with a band I had, I was in, and we opened up for Lee Rittenhour, and mm -hmm. Alex Acuna was the drummer. And I asked him after the gig, what should I do? I want to, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm in a rut. I feel like I want to, you know, are you teaching while you're here? No, we're just playing one night and we're leaving tomorrow. If you want to get better and you want to grow your, you know, your vocabulary, you should move to quit this band and move to LA and listen to my favorite drummer play three nights a week at the Flying Jib, this club in Encino. I said, Where, "Where's Encino? It's in LA. Don't worry about it." So I quit the band, and I, but before I asked him, oh, "What's he your favorite drummer? Who's the guy?" Right. He said, "Well, uh, Vinnie Caliuta. Oh, the guy from Zappa that played on the new Gino Vanelli album. New. Right, this is right. 1980 or 81, I think." He said, "Yeah." I said, "What's he your favorite at?" You know, rock, funk, swing, Latin. He goes, everything. everything. I said, I'm moving. And I moved and I just would sit three nights a week and watch Vinny play from here to Jose, just going, what is he doing? Man. And just loving it. That was in the early 80s. In the 80s. So, I mean, because now someone that wants to move out to L.A., I mean, it's a totally different, different scene, a different vibe. Let me tell you a sad story, Nick, about tonight. Okay. They're closing the place that kind of became the new Flying Jib where I heard Vinny. One of the reasons clubs like the Flying Jib and this place that's closing, Cafe Cordial, are they're so placing, They're closing Cafe Cordial? Yeah, tonight's called Farewell to Cordial. And I'm playing a gig there tonight. And um, the reason why they're so successful that every musician flocks there and it's such a hang and every night of the week they have great bands. 
They have great food, and it's a great place. They make a lot of money. They pay the band well. But unlike most clubs in New York and L.A., there's no cover. Mm -hmm. So musicians who never want to pay a $20 cover, right. and there's no drink minimum. Two drink minimum, you know, you spend 80 bucks to hear a band. Right. You, there's no drink minimum. Uh, there's no cover. They book up the tables, and they make a killing on the food and the drinks and everything. Mm -hmm. But the bands all go there and hang and play. But the, um, the lease has gone way up. The chef is... 80 and he wants to retire. My friend who owns it and books it, he says, I want to spend more time with my wife. But there aren't enough clubs. Man. Going back to your question, where do you go to hear that now for free right. in LA or New York? It's really dwindling. I mean, there's still, you know, the baked potato, but- 20 but that, bucks cover. I was gonna say, it's 20 Two bucks drink minimum. I love the baked potato. I cut my teeth there, but it's 80 bucks. You, you bring a girl to the baked potato. Want to go hear some jazz? Right. Sure, it's a hundred bucks. <laughs> right. Who? We could have bought ten albums. You know? Right. I mean, it's the same way you know where I am in the, in New York. It's like there's not there's not a and not to paint like a, a a poor picture of L.A. or New York. Right. But it's just the the nature of the business now that yeah. it's that things are are drying up. But things are also changing and they're pivoting. And I think that if if people like yourself um, are are able to pivot and to sort of Diversify themselves, have their have their hand in a bunch of different things. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you still... have to do that. Right. I tell people all the time to make a living with your sticks, you've got to diversify, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you've got to love all styles. You don't have to love all the lyrics and all the styles. There's a lot of songs where lyrically I go, "Whoa, okay, I can't hang with that." But the drumming is killing. Right. In any style, and I'm a big fan of the drumming in all styles, but your vocabulary has to be super well-rounded in lots of styles. And reading, there's a whole new school of reading. I did a, that film today uh, was written by a great composer, but then it was just spit out by a computer, and it was not like reading a drum part. No. Or like the Chapin book, or Advanced Funk Studies, or any drum set books we l worked on as drummers gr learning to play. This stuff is just written where there's no, everything's just kind of placed in weird places, and wait a minute, that chord note, well, it's written, it's technically right, but you would never write it like that. Right. All stems up it's and just like, like, whoa. It looks like it's everything's like snapped to the grid. Although. I should show you, I have a piece of paper. of I rewrote the whole cue for this big long cue. I rewrote it like we would read drum music. Really? Yeah, and then it was like. And it was all written out, but I could not. Sight read it the way it was the computer it was. generated. Right. I had to write it out. The way you'd read drum music. Hmm. So that's a way that I need to diversify now. I need to go, okay, people aren't sitting and writing out drum parts like they used to. I got to get better at reading that. Right. Now, but what's your response <coughs> to a lot of people are saying, well, well, I don't know if a lot of people are saying this. I'm just making this up. But I like that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm unintentionally lying to you. You are a liar. <laughs> yeah, that's a ticket. Everybody's saying that. Yeah. John Levin. Yeah, everybody. Everybody. Jose just said it. But if somebody says, you know, I want to I want to move to to L.A. or I want to move to New York, and it's like, hey, man, Greg did it, you know, and but it's like, well, you're established now. So you get the calls. You're you're not. I wasn't when I moved here, man. Exactly. But so, do you, so do you think that someone can can still make the career that you have? in this day and age. Absolutely, um, because there, people will try to tell you, Nick, that, oh, recording sessions have dried up. You know, there's no recording anymore. Um, in Los Angeles, where I live, there is a lot of recording. 80% of it, <coughs> it's just drums. Mm -hmm. Like yesterday, 
And today, I was in this humongous Warner Brothers soundstage that's 10 times the size of this room. Maybe about the same height of the ceiling, but 10 of these rooms. And this is a huge drum channel room. Yeah, it is. 10 of these, and they had an orchestra, a 100-piece orchestra in there right before I got there. And then my cardiac guy brings in my drums. It's like, and, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and I'm like, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and the charts are there, written out like computers. And, you know, and we're overdubbing this big, huge screen up there. And the composer's going, okay, let's do M15, one M13, five M46. And we spend three hours doing these cues, just the drums. Even the upright bass was recorded with the orchestra. The horns were done the day before. Right. And it's, Do you feel like it stiffens up your playing a little bit? I don't. I mean, no. it, uh, the bottom line is whether there's people in the room and you don't get a take because somebody cracked a double high C on the trumpet or you don't do a take because somebody made some noise or there was a violin out of tune, it's a little bit more efficient for them now because they could just do a drum take and if it's good, they're going, okay, next tune. They can get me out of there in three hours, right. which at Union Double Scale is 750 bucks, 250 right. per hour, so it's 750 bucks, as opposed to me being there for a triple, which is 750 times three, you know, 2250 or something like that, plus, you know, your pension and all that stuff in the union. So instead of paying the drummer, hey, Nick, you want to make 2250 bucks plus your pension? Sure. Sure. Or do you want to just come in for three hours and make 750 bucks? Uh, do I have a choice? No. Right. We're doing just drums. <laughs> right. And, but it doesn't stiffen up your playing because you still got that click. You've got all the parts well played. Mm. If anything, you know, when you play with a big band, horns can speed up and slow down at the drop of a hat. These horns were slowing down, speeding up. Okay, don't slow down, speed up. And they were right with the click, so it was easier. Hmm. Again, they get you out faster. Another trick that a lot of producers will try to say is, yeah, you know, we're doing 10 songs. Can we do it in the day? I say, yeah, we can do them in the day. Well, they're really hard. This is really intense fusion, like Alan Holdsworth stuff. Cool, well, well, you know, I'll make charts. And Well, can I send you these tracks ahead of time? No. no. <laughs> because that means I'm going to spend two days free learning your music? Learning the music, right. I said, no, I worked really hard at reading and transcribing so that I can come in and we'll talk about what you want where if you have charts for me, that's great and I'll make notes. But no, I'm not going to learn the stuff and spend two days or nothing so I can come in and do a take in five minutes right? and I, you pay me 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's union stuff. That's where the union's good. And, and uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's not... When I moved to L.A. in 82... They said, oh, why'd you move here now? There's a strike going on. And there's always a strike right. going on with something. All the recording sessions have dried up. Why'd you move here now? In That's 80, what they'll tell yeah. you now. But they told me in 82, oh, they're doing a new uh, strike because of uh, new mechanical dues or something. You should have moved here when Hal Blaine was doing it in the 60s and the early 70s. <clears throat> and in the 70s, they probably said, well, you should have moved here in the early 60s. I mean, yeah, the one thing that changed a lot was when the drum machine came around, like 1980-ish. Mm -hmm. <coughs> a lot of sessions were done with no drums. Mm -hmm. A lot of sessions, especially pop stuff, Kiss FM stuff, there aren't any drums. I did a session two weeks ago, and I played a fill, and the guy from England says, oh, mate, you know, I'm not a big fan of drum fills. Can you not play any fills? I said, sure, no fills. So I'm playing, you know, and I do some dynamics with a hi-hat, and I crash. He goes, oh, mate, yeah, you were grooving just great. Everything was cool, but I'm not a big fan of crash cymbals, mate. Cool, no crash symbol. So then I go to the ride on this B set. He goes, 
not a big fan of rides, Emily, either. Just get out and sniff. I go, whatever you want. Right. And if you keep that not attitude... Not a fan of anything, of, really. Not really a fan of anything. Just <laughs> show up and smile. Right. You know? But I, if you can just say, sure. Tony Williams, I used to study with Tony, and he said once, yeah, I want to... Help me out, would you? I want to move to L.A. Or not move to L.A., but I want to come down to L.A. and start doing more recording session work. Mm -hmm. Wow, Tony, that would be amazing. People would freak to have you on their stuff. And he says, but it's got to be good stuff. You know, it can't be just lame players. He goes, I can't create in a vacuum. You want me to sound like I signed it with Miles? Well, give me Ron Carter or Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter. Right. You know, but I can't create in a vacuum. I said, well, I get it. I'm sure there's a lot of killer projects that would love to have you on and I said let me ask you one question that would be kind of crucial because you're Tony Williams and you've got your sound you know your bass drum's wide open maybe a couple of felt strips boom right. or boom boom would you be into it if somebody like cut a hole in your front bass drum no way <laughs> or took the front head off and put like a packing blanket in, the, in there no way <laughs> well you kind of got to do that man because what if they want oof as opposed to Boom. Or what right. if they want you to tune your snare down really low and put some Kleenex and gaffer tape and go, Doof. no way, that's not my sound. Right. Maybe I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's what he said. So. <laughs> I guess, now that I'm thinking about that, maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of what right. he said. But yeah, you have to be willing to. Mm -hmm. If they say jump, you say how high. Right. And you're very good at being a chameleon because you can play every sort of style and you can play it well. Well, not every sort of style. The one that stumps me lately, Nick, is you show up on sessions you never know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just don't know. They don't tell you, well, Nick, this is a blank session. This is a blank session. You just show up, and you see the music, and you go, wow. So it's that's the tempo, 200, and it's... Well, I can go... But I don't know if I can go... Right. Uh, what if I can't do this song, you know? Mm -hmm. Thomas Lang, Virgil Donati. Right. Hey guys, hey. if I can't do this song, can you come over here? I'll give you my 250 bucks for this hour, but you gotta bail me out of this song. I can play styles. I can play lots of different styles, but I can't just rip like George Kalias with my feet. Right. And I'm working on it, but you that's the thing about session guys. They'll hire you for a Pepsi commercial. Mm -hmm. And it can be well, we know you play double bass. That's really, really fast. Right, right. You know, there's guys that can play but then you get some whiplash kind of not everybody can play bebop that fast, you know. I love playing super fast bebop, but I can play bebop faster than I can play with my feet, so we all have things we have to work on. That's mm -hmm. what I'm working on. Hmm. What are you working on? Uh, I'm just, man, I'm just trying to play in time, that's all. <laughs> yeah, me too. Jeff Percaro once said <laughs> to this guy, we were at this event and this guy came up, he says, yeah, man, you know, a drummer and he looks at me and he goes everyone's a drummer till they turn on the click <laughs> <laughs> i like it I and like then we it. just lost mike Percaro i know a couple weeks ago it's a shame als man it's nuts no so bad <laughs> uh so so what's your advice on people to for for mastering all these styles like except the the double bass quick stuff that you haven't done yet, but all the other yeah, stuff you Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I'm, I don't know about mastering, if that's a good word, but I love to, to work and continue working on um, play. I just, what, my way of practicing is, is just, now we have the internet. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, we used to travel for an hour to see Buddy Rich play, 
and get a ticket and kind of be going, wow, what's his left hand doing? Now you can go on drum channel. You can go on websites. You can go on YouTube. You can see people playing. Right. You know, and you can hit the slow down any tune app or whatever and just go. It, and I spend a lot of time, just my drums and my laptop going, wow, what is that? What is Questlove doing on his snare right there? Right. And that's how you learn, is you just try to emulate. One of the first lessons I took in L.A. was with David Garibaldi. The first lesson I took was with David Garibaldi in 82 when I moved here. And he said, I said, how did you develop your own style? How did you master David Garibaldi? Right. Another paisano yeah. over there. <laughs> uh, with Tower of Power, he goes, well, I just... I listened to Mike Clark, I listened to this guy, I listened to Ziggy from the meters, I listened to this. Say I have 10 people, I bring that into my own personality and I spit it out and it's me. If Nick listens to 10 people and he puts it through Nick and he spits it out, it's gonna sound like him, it'll be his right. style. <clears throat> so the more stuff that goes in, and I, with my drum channel school here, I call it vocabulary. <clears throat> Everything is focused on vocab, mm -hmm. vocabulary. Beats and fills, whether you're playing a groove, or you're playing fills, or you're playing a solo. It's all combinations of beats and fills in different styles. Right. So just the first thing you have to do is love the style. I've talked to jazz guys that go, man, I want to really get a rock gig, man. Can you help me? Like, dude, I want to do a rock tour, man. I go, wow, cool. Do you, I didn't know you liked rock. Do you like like ACDC, Led Zeppelin, the police, the Foo Fighters? No, no, no. You ever listen to that stuff? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why do you want to play? Rock, if you don't even like right. the best rock bands in the world. Well, dude, like I know that those tours pay more money. That's not why you want a rock gig. You right. want a rock gig because you, you love, love to rock. Right. And I've had rock friends of mine, speaking of the baked potato, I ran into this guy, and we were watching Vinnie Caliuta play. And the guy said, dude, I, I want to get like a jazz gig. I want to be like a jazz guy. Cool. You want to study and work on jazz? Like, Do you like Charlie Parker? Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, Weather Report, Chick Corea? No, no. You ever listen to that? No. You have any albums by those guys? <laughs> no. Why do you want to be a jazz drummer? First of all, do you know what jazz is? First you know of what all. jazz is. <laughs> <And> then, <let's... laughs> yeah, so Philly and Elvin, Philly yeah, Joe, man. you know, from Philly. And so he goes, no. And I said, well, why do you want to be a jazz drummer if you don't even like the music he says well dude like when Vinnie called you to plays like jet that jazz solo like all the dudes in the restaurant stand up and clap and he goes they don't do that on my rock kings I'm like that's why you want to be a jazz drummer that's not the motivation you know right you gotta love the music sure sure and I think you know a lot of people have trouble with especially this day and age because jazz I feel like jazz is not as prominent as it used to be and people have a hard time getting into it, so they don't study it because they're not used to listening to it every day. And a lot of people have this weird thing with jazz where they're like, ah, they're like almost scared to get into it and don't really understand it. So people just avoid it and, and don't play it. But, you know, it's the, the root of everything. So how, how do you, what do you suggest people do if they, if they don't like a style, but it's almost important that they do learn this stuff. Yeah, I think they have to prune out what they don't like about it. Mm -hmm. Like for me, and I'm just being super honest, um, <clears throat> like when I got the new Kendrick Lamar album, I didn't get the explicit version. I got the clean version, which still isn't very clean, but I love the drumming on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have a, th <laughs> this is weird, but I have a thing on my, um, in my studio a little app where I can take out most of the vocals. And so I can hear the drums and I just sit 
for hours and jam along with that CD that just came out like three weeks ago. And uh, a lot of super aggressive cookie monster, you know, (laughs) I can't hang with those vocals because I don't know what they're saying. The guy sounds so angry. I'm not a real angry guy. I'm a pretty happy guy. So I'll tune out those Cookie Monster vocals and I'll really get into the drumming. Right. And uh, I mean, that could be for any band. It could be for Avenged Sevenfold. It could be for, um, dare I say, Dream Theater even. Right. I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of vocals, but I love Mike Portnoy's drumming. And right. I love Mike Mangini's drumming. Mm-hmm. And I love the Revs drumming. And, uh, I want to. I want to know what those drummers are doing. So I prune out and vocals a lot of times. All right, and just get down to get the, into the drums, you know. Right. And so even though people like maybe jazz, for instance, what you said is really interesting. People are afraid of jazz, and not many people are into it. But I kind of live in a world of jazz educators. A lot of times, I teach for Cal State Northridge. I go to these jazz educators conference. I do clinics for Dixon, my, my drum company, where I go to all these PAS things and it's all jazz bands playing. So elementary, middle school, and high school kids from all around the country, all they're playing is jazz. Right. I mean, at night they're playing, you know, Blink-182 songs and working on the Travis Barker chops. But during the day, they're playing, and in college too, There's most college drummers are jazz rednecks because that's all they play in college is bebop. So <clears throat> that's their thing. And so it's it's dead in certain circles, but it's alive in certain circles. And for a lot of people that go into college and they go, man, John Coltrane, you know, his sax just sounds like a bunch of noise. And just playing and playing and playing. But that drummer, man, Elvin Jones, he's playing some really cool stuff. So focus on Elvin Jones. Right. Go into Elvin Jones, um, different, dr- what's it called? Uh, different drummer or something like that. Elvin Jones has a million things on the internet where you can really... Explore what he's doing. What a musical! Oh uh, yeah, what a, it's a, a a different a different, a different type of drummer or a different kind of drummer or something a like that. Different kind of drummer, different drummer, something like that. But there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. How they're talking about how jazz sounded before Elvin. And if you, what listen, he did. if yeah. you listen to a record before <clears throat> Elvin, during Elvin, and after Elvin, you can see the progression of how jazz went just from Elvin's playing. You sure can, and the yeah. triplet. Just rolling. I gotta be honest. When I got out of high school and I got into college, I got turned on to Elvin. I was really into Buddy Rich, Joe Morello, Danny Serafin, Bobby Columbi, um, Peter Erskine, <coughs> the big band drummers, Danny D'Imperio, uh, Jake Hanna, Jeff Hamilton. But when I heard Elvin Jones in college, I went, man, that sounds kind of, sounds like a drum set falling down the stairs. Right. And these older jazz guys in college, 28, grad students are going, what do you mean? That's sacrilegious. You can't say that. This is Elvin Jones. I said, sounds like a pair of sneakers in a dryer. I don't get it. I really didn't get it. It was like the emperor's new clothes. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, but the more I got into it, now he's my favorite. Right. Well, Elvin Jones and Tony Williams and Bill Stewart Mm -hmm. are my favorite jazz drummers. But it's that aggression, that passion. He sounds like a freight train. Yeah, and it grooves and it's sexy and funky and Tony with Miles when he was 17 man that's what got me into really wanting to explore jazz and Bill Stewart and that guy comes in match grip takes New York by storm I see him playing my jaws just what is he doing you know unbelievable yeah yeah so yeah that's my advice is 
prune out the things that scare you and get into the drumming. You know, get into why is the drummer doing that? Because Miles went like this. You know, Tony Williams told me, I want to play drums the way Miles plays trumpet. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? He goes, I want to, like, Miles would make me laugh. He'd make me cry. He'd make me, he'd scream at me. He'd whisper to me, I want to evoke all those emotions with the drums. I said, Tony, you do that, man. That's yeah. what you do. So <clears throat> I have a lot of long answers for short questions, Nick. I'm sorry. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I'm asking the questions you're talking. That's what we're... I hope you can edit these out because they're long. No, man, that's what, we, that's what we like to hear. And so now you would mention Tony saying that he wants to evoke emotion out of, out of people and, and, and wants to sort of express, you know, sorrow and happiness and laughter and, yeah. and things like that. And so what's your approach to, to playing more musically? Because you can get all these chops and, yeah, and chops yeah. you can play all this stuff underneath your legs and whatever you want to do, but if you can't make music out of it, then that's what's right. the point? It's like learning a bunch of big words and not being able to you talk. You better believe it. And that's why I want to turn the channel to my most musical drummer, favorite drummer, and that's Ringo. Mm -hmm. And for the last 12 years, by the grace of God, I've been able to be uh, playing with Ringo and in the All-Star Band since 2008. And as far away as we are right now, we're playing double drums and I'm watching him play and never overplaying and always being in the groove. My goal is don't flam with Ringo snare. Right. And when you're in with Ringo, it's like putting on your favorite pair of shoes. You go, hmm, I wore these shoes yesterday, but oh, they feel really oh, man, comfortable. They feel good. I want to wear these again today. I want to play in Ringo's pocket because it's just right. I can listen to every Beatles song Every Ringo solo album, every other thing he's done with people like Tom Petty or whoever artists he's played with, <clears throat> the Traveling Wilburys, you name it. <clears throat> and he just has this vibe where it's just, he never gets in the way. And what he asks for, he doesn't read drum parts. He looks at lyric sheets. And he looks at the lyrics. He says, I always wanted to know where they weren't singing so I could play something where they weren't singing. Because you don't want to get in the way of the vocals. Right. And it kind of cracks me up with terminology lately, like gospel chops. I judged a drum contest a while back that will remain unnamed. There was like, you know, tempo, stylistic diversity, musicality, showmanship, gospel chops. I'm like, when did gospel chops become, become a style? Right. You know, gospel to me, and I play in our church, gospel is the Bible, the word of God, like a singer singing maybe Amazing Grace. That's a gospel song, right? And if a drummer's going, Amazing Grace. How sweet. That's kind of covering up the words, which are the gospel, you know? It's like they're there to worship and the drummer's just soloing. So Ringo never overplays. Mm. He never gets in the way with his fills. They're just in the right place. And... Um, He's so musical because he cares about the singer. Mm -hmm. If you're playing with <clears throat> a trumpet player, like tonight, <clears throat> I'm going to play with this amazing trumpet player, one of my favorite trumpet players, Rick Braun. And the guy can play any kind of style. But when he plays like Miles, Freddie Hubbard kind of stuff, I want to have his trumpet. That's like the word. That's like mm -hmm. the vocals. He's playing the melody when he's soloing. I want to accompany him in a musical way so I don't step on what he's doing. Mm -hmm. You want to create a canvas for the soloist or a blank canvas for the singer. And a lot of bands rehearse in small re rehearsal studios where um, they're just playing with the amps cranked up 
maybe the drums are even mic'd. Right. And the singer's got this little dinky mic coming through the PA, and you can never hear the singer. Man, if you can't hear your singer, and they're losing their voice from getting notes because they're screaming so loud to be heard, come down, man. Mm -hmm. Mix as you play. Drummers have to mix with their hi-hat, kick, snare, tom, cymbals, ride cymbal. You have to mix with your kick, everything, to, to have the right balance. But you also have to mix for the band. Mm -hmm. If you're playing too loud and the guitar player has to turn up and you can't hear the singer, singers first, right. the words. Right. If you're in Maroon 5 and you can't hear Adam Levine's words, or if you're Eric Hernandez and you can't hear your brother Bruno Mars singing, not a good idea. Right, somebody needs to turn down. <laughs> Somebody needs to turn down right. and let the singer sing. Right. So that's musical drumming to me. So how do you develop that muscle? Say I came to you and you say, okay, man, I want you to play. And I'm just blazing. And then you say, all right, now we're going to play along with this tune. And it's just not happening because, you know, my pocket's not there or I'm not playing musically. And I'm just... Yeah. So how do you, how do you suggest that people develop? Because the reason why you get called is because you play musically. You know, it's like, like Indugu Chancellor said, I never got called to do a drum solo. Jeff Picaro said, I, didn't, I never even remember doing a drum solo. You know? Right. And they both have chops. You bet. You, know? you bet. Well, the way I would recommend if you did come to me and you were struggling with that, which I'm sure you're not because we've already talked, but um, somebody that would come to me and say, I just can't seem to stop playing. John Coltrane was playing with Miles Davis one, one time in the early, early days, and, and Miles is looking at his watch like, come on, Coltrane, you've been soloing for 10 minutes. And then he keeps playing, and he keeps playing, and he keeps playing. And Miles goes, man, that was so long. Why, why, why is your solo so long? He says, Miles, I, I just keep playing. I, I, just, I just, I can't stop. <laughs> and Miles says, try taking the horn out of your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what I would say is, like, play along with the drums on the, on the MP3 or the CD or the iTunes you know, MP3 you're playing along with or whatever. Try to match what that drummer's playing. You mentioned Counting Crows. Super musical drum parts. And if you want to be closing your eyes like I used to when I was a kid, what if the drummer from this band broke their arm and I was subbing? Try to play exactly what's on the track. Mm -hmm. And if you really try to do that, you know, you play the fills where they're needed. Fills are interesting because fills really, to me, if you've got a verse and it's this intensity level, say it's mezzo forte, and say you've got a fortissimo chorus and you've got a pianissimo breakdown, well, you've got these different sections and to get from your verse to your chorus, you need some kind of a ramp. And that ramp, to me, is the fill. Sure, it's opening up the hi-hat a little, crescendoing, but that fill... It's not only going to telegraph the next section, but it's going to ramp up to maybe you're riding on the crash, and then you do the breakdown. Those fills can be not only telegraphing the section for the guys in the band, you're kind of the musical director a lot of times because you're telling the guys where to play. The best compliment we can get as musical drummers is, thanks, man, I didn't really have to think about the song because you, you telegraphed where they happened. The dynamics of the band are easily controlled by the drums, if the drummer's not playing dynamic, dynamically and coming up and down with the sections, the band won't be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So the drummer with the open and close of the hi-hat, middle of the snare, Ringo's great at this. He'll play a whole verse in the middle of the snare, then he'll play a whole chorus, rim shots, then he'll come back to the middle. He uses his drums and his cymbals super dynamically, and that's <coughs> really important. So I would say just play along with the, 
the track and try to do what the drummer's doing. Mm -hmm. Don't fill when they're not filling, and that'll be your training. Right. <laughs> it's a powerful instrument, though. Especially, you know, when you sit down even to practice, mm. and you're saying, okay, I'm going to work on this two and four groove. Next thing you know, you hit the you hit the ride, and then you hit the next thing you know, you're off. And yeah. You, know, you do all this stuff, it's been 15 minutes, and you're like, man, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't practice anything yet. Okay, back. Let me get back to where I was. I hear you, Nick, all the way. Another thing you can do is, is you don't have to be a Mark Atkinson, one of the greatest transcribers in the world that could transcribe, you know, Herbin Moe's vacation, <clears throat> Frank Zappa, but you just, you can transcribe the form of the song and you can say, okay, hi-hat tight for this verse, hi-hat open for this chorus, bellow the ride cymbal for the bridge, um, boom, boom, ba, boom, right out the kick and snare part, and right a fill, right out the fills, right out the, and then stare at your music and make it like reading, and when you read and see the chart and you're playing what you transcribed from the track, you won't want to go to the China symbol or the cowbell or, you know, timbales, because there's no timbales in the song. Just because we have all these instruments at our disposal, we have to be able to edit and use discretion. Right to use what we have to use for the song. I remember for a while I did <laughs> gigs uh, and I was just playing a kick, a snare, and a hi-hat. I just, I was like, if there's no, it's not there, I can't play it, you know? And for for the couple months we had this residency and I was like, man, I'm just gonna, that's, I'm just gonna play kick, snare, and hi-hat. That's, that's the best thing you could do. <laughs> and that reminds me of a funny story. <clears throat> when I was in Maynard's band, I went and saw a buddy of mine play in a club. He had a five-nighter in New York City. <clears throat> and I said, man, you know, we have, I think it was like Tuesday, it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it was a four-nighter, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, I said, man, I'm gonna come out Wednesday night. He goes, oh, don't come out Wednesday night. Why? Well, I have to take the subway and I take my kick and my snare and my hi-hat and my ride. Thursday night, I bring my rack tom and my floor tom. <laughs> uh, Friday night though, I gotta take the toms back. Right. So come, can you make it like Thursday night? Thursday. <laughs> All the drums will be there. <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So now, moving forward, we've talked about a lot of the stuff that you've, you've done in the past. Um, and, but moving forward, you have, some new, you have a new CD. I do. It's called Warning Will Robinson. And it's all my brother. <clears throat> my brother said, uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, he said, you should do a new solo album. It's been years since we did Submarine. I said, yeah, Matt, that was a lot of work. And a lot of money and the record labels and all this stuff, you know, I don't know if I want to try to get in with a record label. He goes, I'll be the record label, you know? So he, my brother, financed it, paid for the whole thing, wrote all the songs, wrote all the lyrics, produced it, told me what to play, told me what to sing, got the guys to play guitar and bass. Uh, he played bass, guitar, and uh, some keyboards, and and it's really a fun album. He also had the, al the idea of doing the regular CD that's mixed, but a second uh, CD that has no drums because so many people want to do drum covers right. and there's click and they can play with it without my drums on it so it's called Warning Will Robinson <clears throat> it's available on iTunes and CD Baby and Amazon.com and through my website <clears throat> but it's mostly my brother's work and I'm just so honored I think it's the best one we've done so far awesome, awesome. it's really influenced by pop like Foo Fighters, Mustard Seeds, this band, we used to have hard rock, tuned down guitar, heavy drumming, but a lot of dubstep, like Skrillex, like really? halftime kind of dubstep-y stuff, and a lot of guitars sounding electronic, 
and really cool lyrics and vocals and nice. Then there's one song that's like a Tower of Powery song that um, we did that uh, Ellis Hall is singing on, and uh, he's a great soul singer. And Danny Jacob plays guitar, and it's kind of an, an ode to Garibaldi. Awesome. So now, you you also teach in the area when you're... When yeah, I teach for Cal State Northridge, which is not far. Mm -hmm. It's in between where I was in Burbank and here right. in the valley. So now, do you teach just if you're if for people that go there, or can, can people yeah, they, get private lessons through you? Or? Yeah, no, it's just Cal State Northridge mostly. <laughs> and uh, Adam was a Cal State Northridge student, Adam Coons from the Drum Channel here. And I just love... Teaching, you know, I love, I do a lot of clinics. Mm -hmm. And um, so I go all around the world. I've just done tons of clinics this year for, for my drum company, Dixon, and for Zildjian Cymbals. We, you're lucky when your companies will support you. Sure. DW Pedals, LP Percussion, Epic First Sticks, Remo Drumheads, they all come in together and they sponsor these clinics where they're co opt And so you can teach in these clinics, everything from beginners and have kids come up and play and hands-on from five years old to 90. So I, I really, my degree in college was music ed mm -hmm. and I love teaching. But clinics are a great way to teach. And also my, my school here at Drum Channel, uh, it's all about teaching, teaching styles, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Reading. Yeah, that's another thing that we should mention. If people want to study yeah. with you and they don't go to Cal State, they can go to drumchannel.com. Yes, they can, please. You know, register and, and sign up, and it's very, <coughs> very af affordable to uh, to join Drum Channel. And it they sure can is. Get lessons through you. And I can't believe that uh, every drummer is not a member because I agree. Man, when I was a kid, if you would have told me, yeah, we got this really cool clubhouse, and it's called Drum Channel here in Oxnard, California, and every drummer you've ever heard of comes in here and plays and does stuff. And then I've got this school where I'll teach you to be the drummer you want to be. And it's pennies a day. I'd be like, right. are you kidding me? <laughs> Why would any drummer not do this? Shut up and take my money. Yeah. That's what I would say. Here. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it should be when you get, when you buy your first pair of sticks, you have to join Drum Channel. Yeah. Or we're not going to allow you to hold those sticks. And this is like mecca for drummers. I mean, it's like, you know, it's the, the room. You can shed in here and everything. DW's right across the street. I mean, right, it. it's right there. Right there, you know? next building. So I remember the first time I, got, I came here, I was like, man, this is, I just want to move in. I'm well, gonna... Don Lombardi's been one of my best friends for years, and he is a man with a vision. Yeah. And I remember when he first started out, DW, and then when he first made the double pedal, I was, I hate to brag, but I was the first guy to road test the double pedal with Maynard in 82. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, okay, we'll take this out with you. It's a prototype. You know, I'd played this pedal called the Zalmer Twin, Richard Zalmer, mm -hmm. but it was kind of a springish thing. And there was a little <laughs> Charlie Callis <laughs> delay. <laughs> and Don's was bam, bam. And so Don Lombardi and John Good, and man, this, this is the Mecca, like you said. It this is, man. It's and it's great to have you here too. I'm, I appreciate you coming out to do it. It is my pleasure. So what do you? So what's on the horizon now? What's what's up? What next for for you? Uh, a water polo tournament with my son in Orange County. My son's 17. He's all about water polo. My daughter's 14. She's all about ballet. So I'm going to my son's water polo tournament. My daughter's ballet performance. I'm doing a, a session tomorrow, um, and it's at a studio um, near where I live in in Westlake Village great recording studio and it's going to be the engineer is one of the world-class engineers that's going to teach cal lutheran 
California Lutheran University, how to engineer. So he's going to have the kids mic up my drums. I'm going to get a sound check. I'm going to play. They're going to write charts, and they're each going to produce a song. That's awesome. So it's a six-hour session of that. <clears throat> and then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I go to A&M Records, which is now the Muppets, uh, Henson Studios, on La Brea and Sunset, one of the best studios around. And I'm going to do an album with Lee Sklar playing mm -hmm. bass uh, for a great singer from Japan named Mari Ijima, super famous singer there, two full days of that. And uh, just very blessed to be working as a session drummer in Los Angeles and touring with my favorite drummer. We just finished five weeks on tour all through uh, the U.S., Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, South America, Mexico, and Vegas with Ringo. Nice. And, Are there uh, plans to go back out with that? Yeah, he's always got something cooking, so cool. we'll be out again before long. You never know. But uh, he's being inducted in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. He's been in the Hall of Fame with the Beatles, but for his solo career, That's April awesome. 18th in two weeks. And uh, his new album just came out, which is amazing. And we wrote a song as a band, the Ringo All-Star Band. We wrote a song as a band. I got to play steel drums, trumpet, timbales on it, LP timbales. And... Uh, <laughs> And I wrote a song with Ringo, you know. Not many I, people can say that. No, I know. I'm so happy. That's it's awesome. called Postcards from Paradise is the name of the album. It's a really great album. I would definitely check that out. Great, Nick. So before I let you go, yep. most memorable music uh, experience that you've had? I have to pick one? Sure. Yikes. Or one that sticks out in your head. doesn't have to be the... Okay, there's a bunch. There's, I could think of five that are major, but I'll print it down to one. Uh, it was Ringo's 70th birthday, and we played Radio City Music Hall mm -hmm. in Manhattan. And about a month before we played, um, the management said, hey, Paul McCartney's going to come out and uh, sing Birthday for Ringo. You know, ba 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 And we're going to rehearse at a secret sound check. Ringo won't know we're in. And then when we do the gig, we do the whole, you know, little help from my friends, and everybody comes up, and Yoko's up there singing Give Peace a Chance, and the stage is dark. All of a sudden, Paul comes out, and, psh, psh, doo -doo 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 -doo, and Ringo's looking like, wow, and he runs up on the stage, and he looks at me like, oh my gosh, I haven't played this since, you know, 1968 or something. Right. How does it go? <laughs> oh, it's boom, pop, boom, boom, pop, boom, pop, pop, pop. And he looks over, how long have you known about this? Why are we playing? <laughs> And tears are running down my cheek. I'm going, there's Ringo, my favorite drummer. And there's Paul, the two Beatles that are left. And they're playing together and I'm playing in the band. Ah! And he just, you know, how long have you known about this? Oh, about a month. And he says, oh, you cheeky son of, you know. So that night, the party they had afterwards, everybody was there. Right. And it was the most amazing. I still get goosebumps when I think about that day. That is amazing, though. And, of course, I got the pictures and the videos to prove it. Right, right. Just because it did happen. Right. No pictures, yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah, that's right. It could be Cinderella. <laughs> I have a slipper. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that is, I would, I would probably rank that up there with my favorite two of our you. So. Oh, man. Thank you, Nick. Absolutely, man. I want to hear you play. What's that? No, we're not going to. Are we going to get to hear you play? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll play. Come on. We'll play after this. Okay. Well, Thank you again for doing this, man. I appreciate thank you sitting you. down and chatting. I know it was hectic getting here, like I My said. My pleasure. But thank you very much. And for everybody out there, be sure to go to drumchannel.com, check out Greg's lessons, and check out his website, his new record, and his clinics, and all the stuff that he has going on. Again, Greg, thank you so much, man. Thank it was an you, honor Nick. and a pleasure to chat with you and to, and to have you on the show. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and man. I want to come to your restaurant. We're going to have some... Uh, 
Cannolis, you make cannolis? We don't make cannolis. My favorite dessert. We'll make them if you come. It's kind of Sicilian, right? Are if you Sicilian? No, a Brucese. That's a Brucese. You make bruschetta? Yeah. That's Brucese, right? Spelled the same. What's that? No. A lot of the same letters. We'll, well, I'll, I'll fill you in. Okay. But if you're coming, we'll, we'll make cannolis. You make cannolis? We'll, yeah, for you? Yeah, we'll get them. Take the gun, keep the cannolis <laughs> yeah, or something like yeah. that. <laughs> thank you, awesome. Nick. Awesome, Greg. Thank you, man. Appreciate and Don it. Don Lombardi, he's Italian thank, too. He eh? is. He thank is. you, Don. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don, for having us here. He's the Don. He's the Don Cordioli. Welcome. Hey, hey, there he is, Don Lombardi. So there you have it, the one and only Greg Bissonette. And as you can tell, I had an amazing time interviewing him. Uh, such an such an awesome dude, such an awesome player. And I hope that you learned a lot from him, as I know I did. So be sure to check him out, gregbissonette.com. Check out facebook.com forward slash drummers resource. On Instagram at Drummers Resource, on Twitter at Drummers R Source. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, for listening, to sh- for sharing it, for you know turning other people onto it, for the reviews and the comments and the emails and all of that stuff. I truly and sincerely appreciate it, and I love you all very much. Thank you. Peace. Peace.